Welcome to a radical discussion of independence, free will, liberty, and the left-hand path. This is Damon Ossoff with your host, Paul Frederick. Welcome, friends and fellow Damons, to another episode of Damonosophy. Tonight, my guest is Nicoletta Winters, who joins us to talk about radical music and the left-hand path. So join us as we try to circumnavigate the world through a cyberpunk lens with music and magic. Nicoletta Winters and virtual intelligence. Hi, Nicoletta. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm, you know, just trying to circumnavigate the, uh, you know, this post-COVID, post-apocalyptic, cyberpunk kind of world. Yeah. That's amazing to think. So the last time that uh, you and I hung out was in Hawaii, in Kona. Things were very free back then. It's like it was a different world. It was like we were what we were surfing, basically. <laughs> we were surfing. We so okay. You and I, we we both paddleboarded. I know we both paddleboarded. <laughs> yep. We both uh, did karaoke and some uh, dive bar, which was like really awesome. You know, it was it was good times. So I'm 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 glad that that happened and that we had an opportunity to do that. Hopefully, we'll have an opportunity to do stuff like that again someday. You know, uh, I hope next year. Yeah, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. So, um, you you are an, an incredible musician. I've heard your stuff. I've been you know I follow you on Twitter. I always hear your stuff when it comes out. I'm always blown away with it. And I know your project, Virtual Intelligence, you've got a, a, a new thing coming out called Pain Sync. Can you, can you tell us a little about it? Yeah. So um, Pain Sync is, I started writing it in February of last year, so February 2019. Um, what, what really influenced me to sort of start working on the album, I was just sitting in my living room and I, I was uh, listening to a synthwave stream as you do on uh, on the weekends and there was a there was a song that came on uh, a felion by uh, scandroid he also does like a cell dweller and he's that fixed neon guy lots of good stuff but like i really really liked it and i was like why can't i do stuff like this so so i started writing and i wasn't writing anything like how that person wrote um it just because i i can't i can't express myself in that same way i don't have the same experience the life experiences that that he he did so um as with all of my my previous adventures with virtual intelligence i i ended up just sort of like going my own way and sort of inf infusing some of these synth wavy elements and uh, cold wave and uh, mid '80s elements with uh, more like a agrotech 
symphonic metal sensibility. And I, I guess that I guess it speaks for the side of how it is aesthetically, like the music. Uh, as far as like the background uh, for what the music is like supposed to be about, I had a I had a, a surgery scheduled uh, for uh, last year in September, and this album was meant to be like my last. Uh, great work, so to say, where I was like, you know, if I'm going to die on the table, something crazy is going to happen. I want to get this out. So I, my original plan was the morning of the surgery, I was going to just uh, press release and it was going to come out. Well, it didn't work out like that because everything that I was doing with the album was really over ambitious and it just wasn't ready. Um, so, I mean, yeah. I, I, I feel like when it comes to the artistic process with this kind of thing, rushing it is not necessarily always the the best thing. It's not the, the best strategy. Yeah. I struggle with that too. I know exactly what you're talking about. I always have this feeling when I'm working on any kind of project, I'm going to die before this comes out. I've got to get this out. Something's going to happen. I'm going to die and it won't come out. And then I start thinking, oh, the whole, you know, what, what, what's the world going to do if they don't get this, you know, um, <laughs> you know, but then at the same time, then you come back. It's like, you you got to spend your time with things too. You also got to establish your own pace, you know, for like working on stuff, I think. Yeah. And, it, and, and so obviously I survived the surgery. Um, but after the surgery, I had a lot of complications, like a lot, a lot. Um, in the end, it came out perfect, but uh, I, I will say that I had to live through basically seven months of like a like a body horror, horror basically, where like it was just like blood constantly. It was um, me just not feeling good, and I was always, always, always in pain, and. Like about in February, I would say it was starting to really like affect me. me. Like it was starting to affect like my my head mm -hmm. because I had never actually experienced something like that before. And it was it, it was during this time where I wrote a lot of the lyrics for the album. And I think that the lyrics uh, really speak to that experience of living through prolonged constant pain and what it does um and really that's that's the big backbone behind pain sink it's it wasn't a fun time and mm -hmm. i i wouldn't really wish that upon anyone but i'm glad i lived through it because if i if i hadn't i don't think i would have the perspective that i do on um certain things now like like I, you know, I, I've always been very healthy, and I've always been a, been the kind of person that just um, is able to just go do things. And I didn't really, I, I really wasn't able to empathize with the experiences of others who are living through, you know, just that that constant chronic, you know, horror, really. And, and um, I, so I, I mean, in the left hand path, you don't really think about compassion a lot. But I think the experience left me a little more compassionate in the end. Sure. So, so that's a great thing to talk about. But so let's back. Let's talk about the left hand path. Um, so, how did you find the left hand path? 
that's a that's a really long long story. Um, I remember uh, my my dad. He was in the um, the U.S. Marines, and uh, I remember he would come home at night, and I was like three, and we were we were living overseas at the time, and he would come home and he would he would ask me how my day was, and I. I don't know what it was like. I was I was a little imp. I was like the the girl Pearl from Scarlet Letter, you know, just always constantly lying and being impish and whatnot. And my dad told me. He said, "Every time you lie, the devil laughs." And it my my experience with the devil was the devil on the side of the uh, you know deviled ham can. You know <laughs> that guy. He was having fun. He was just like, yeah, and dancing and stuff. And I was like, what's so wrong with that? He laughs when I lie, so who cares? So, um, you know, I started getting into this mode very, very young where I would just like, I would want to just invert everything. Like I, I would see people praying and I would just like, you know, pray upside down or like that, that kind of thing because you know the devil was down there and I'm up here. And my, my family wasn't especially religious. I, I grew up um, kind of in a mixed family where like it was sometimes atheist, sometimes born again, Christian sort of background. And then on my dad's side of the family, it was, it was all like Islam, like uh, Shia Islam. So I, I had to like find my place in that and it wasn't easy. So I, I remember about in 1997, 97, that's when I really, really had like my first like, like epiphany. I remember these, these guys were passing out these orange Bibles at school and I was like, okay, I'll take one of these. So I went home and I read it and I threw it in the closet and I just forgot about it. And um, then just one day I was like, it, it, there, there was just this thing. It was like creeping in the back of my head. I'm like, there's this orange Bible in my closet. This is my fucking space. So here I was, I'm like 13, 14. And I just opened the closet up and I just tore that bitch up. And it, it was just all over the place. And it, it felt good. It felt good because I read, I read it and there was just so much I just couldn't get on board with. Like especially in the, like the Deuteronomy part, like I just like I was yeah. like, what is going on here? I and this is me coming off the heels of like reading Lord of the Rings, where that seemed like a much like bigger, more grand story than uh, what was going on in the Bible. And I remember my dad and I, we went um, to go buy. Um, he was gonna buy a, a 1971 Camaro RS, and it was beat up. But this was um this was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful car. And we we went down to Florida. Um we we lived we lived up north and we went down to Florida and we bought this car and we ended up driving it back up, back up north. And we ended up stopping at a gas station um somewhere, I would say probably in South Carolina, and it was the middle of the night. And the power steering on the car went out, like he was really struggling. So he left me, he left me in the car all alone in South Carolina, 
um, in the dark, like probably about 1.30 in the morning. And I just remember, I remember just feeling like this is my time to like, you know, bind myself to, to bind myself to whatever this dark feeling is inside of me because it's just pitch black. I can't see anything. My dad's not here. It's perfectly private. And, uh, so, and, and, and how old are you? Um, I'm, I am like 13, 13. Okay. So seventh, eighth grade around there, 12, 13. Um, and I just remember like this feeling of, of this like cloudy feeling coming over me, or, like this pressure come down. And I, I think, you know what I'm talking about? Like when, when you're in the ritual chamber, this is something that happens, especially when you get in the zone. Um, so I, I basically then and there, I, I sold, I sold my soul, you know, sold my soul to the devil. I had never read any other things about anything. Um, this was, this is just something that was in the back of my head. I was like, let's do this. So I sold my soul to the devil. I made a pact right then and there. I was like, I was like, I'm going to do this thing. And, you know, and, the, and the thing ended up being my life, you know, um, my, my, and you know, I'm transgender and, Back then, like I wasn't comfortable with who I was, at all. So I was like, I'm gonna do this thing. I'm gonna be, uh, I'm gonna be who I am, and this is the path I'm making with you. So um, there I was in the dark, just you know, being honest with myself, being honest with the you know proverbial prince of darkness, so to say. And um, ever since that point. I just have been very, very, very different. And I, I think, I mean, we went, we went to, a, we went to Salem probably a year later after that. And I was like, really like into that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I saw, I saw the satanic Bible, whatever. Um, I looked at it. It didn't interest me. So, uh, and, and the reason why it didn't interest me was because like, it didn't feel authentic to what I had experienced in that car in South Carolina. Um, what did, so eventually I actually did find something that clicked with me and that was, um, I, I was just cruising around the internet back in like 99 and I found uh, this guy named Uncle Setnacked. Uh -huh. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, here I was in high school just printing reams and reams of paper uh, 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 off of all of the work, uh, the the work that I could find of Uncle Setnat and and anything regarding uh, you know uh, the temple is set because it seemed like these guys they kind of knew they kind of had something going on a little more than you know the the average. Um, Levian sat uh, Satanist, and that's not. I'm not knocking Levian Satanist. It just didn't resonate with me, because mm -hmm. um, I, I never, you know, we all go our, our own ways, and really, that's that's how I got started on the left hand path. Um, and it actually goes a lot deeper when you intertwine, um, you know, my my experience with all that and my choice of music. Um, during that time, like if it wasn't for that experience, I don't think I ever would have like like um, got into like black metal 
or death metal. Like I was really, really, really like into like Dark Throne and Emperor and Cradle of Filth and all that stuff um, back in the late '90s. And like I, I taught myself how to play guitar off of that uh, with the the guitar my dad bought me. And my dad was like, "You haven't touched anything I've ever bought you ever, except for that." Little did he know I'm like sitting here rocking in my uh, my bedroom just having fun. Um, and my, my life was just changed from that because after that, um, right out of high school, I was in a, I was in a band, um, it was, it was called a sin origin, you know, like the origin of sin, like, Ooh, um, I, we, we thought we were being evil. My brother and I, we, we had this, this band and we ended up recruiting a couple guys from New York to come play live with us and all that stuff. And right out of high school, we got a we got a like a small record deal, and we we put a couple albums out. Um, at the time, I think the album um, that was really like our big our big album at, at that uh, moment it was called "In the Presence of a Dread Magician," uh, and on the cover it has like uh, I used to draw sigils for our our shows and stuff, and I would put them out. And, and before our shows, you know, our shows are a ritual, I would just burn them. And like, I'm just releasing that energy out into the stage before we go out. Um, that, that album, that album uh, and like the, the mini album we did before it, we recorded in like an actual like professional studio. And um, I ended up learning a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff from the, the engineer. Like, and, and I, I just value that experience because now the way that I record now is completely different. Like we were recording on reels and like ADATs back mm -hmm. then. Oh yeah. And, and I just remember that the coolest thing to me was seeing the little motors on the, the mixer for automation just go up and down. Yeah. Like we have that, but it's just not as tangible now. Right. And I, I really, really value that experience because I don't think that there's going to be another time in the near future where that's going to be the norm. No, absolutely. I, I mean, that's such a good point. And so, you know, I can relate to that. The first time that I recorded in a studio, um, it was a reel to reel. And it's like so expensive, right? It's like, you don't fuck up because yeah. this costs my, every inch of this costs more money than you make in a week, right? <laughs> and, and so the pressure's on. And so you just, you know, we did like a four song demo cassette, you know, with that. And then, and then ADAT was better because, well, it's, it's a VHS tape. So the, the pressure's off a little bit. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I've realized is that music from the time periods, because people always go back and they want to recapture how something sounded at a certain time. Guess what? You can't. There's nothing you can't because how it was recorded, that's part of it. That's part of what makes it. And so I, I realized that recently I, I went through a big, um, you know, I'm buying records again. I'm going back. I'm trying to find old records from old genres and stuff because, you know, I know that can't be found anywhere else. Um, and, and it's, and it's just such a, such an interesting thing about music. Um, but what I wanted to ask you is, Okay, so during that time period, you you were playing the guitar, right? Mm -hmm. So where did you? So I I know you also played a bass. So so how did that all work out? Did you go from guitar to bass or? 
So um, I actually took a lot of private lessons um, uh, for viola, oddly enough. Um, Shut up. You know, that's that's the first instrument I played. <laughs> have, we not, have we not talked about that before? Never, never. <laughs> okay. When I was in... When I was in elementary school and they're like, well, okay, we're going to play classical instruments. And it's like the teacher came out and there's like, who wants to play the violin? And everyone raised their hand. I raised my hand, but she didn't see me. So she went on to the next thing, viola. I'm like, oh yeah, me. And so that's how I ended up playing viola. But anyhow, go ahead with your story. How did you, how did you end up with viola and then get to guitar and bass? So (laughs) I wanted to play a harp. I was like, that's what I want to play. And my parents were like, no, you're not going to play harp because it's so fucking expensive. You know, it's anyway, it was like, I think it was like $3,000 just to get like the oh, yeah. low level. Yeah. In the 90s. Yeah, this was expensive. So um, the, one of the teachers ended up taking me um, to watch like a little, and it, it wasn't a video. It was like, do you, you know how they used to have like film strips they would show? There was a film strip. And I don't know what it was called, but I remember uh, there was like, it was like a cartoon and they had all the different instruments, you know, this is the violin and there's like a fairy and stuff. This is the cello and there's like a dragon playing it. And then then uh, the viola was death, like with a cloak. Whoa. And I was like, that's the one. <laughs> right, that's it. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I played um, I played that for a really long time. I still play it. I actually played on um, in 2014. I played that on a recording for Black Soul Seraphim um, in some cold ass studio. But anyway, I'm I'm getting off, off topic there. Um, so I took private lessons for that, and like my dad bought my brother a Nintendo 64 and 97, and he bought me a guitar. And the, like the first, the first six months I had it, I was like, my brother got a Nintendo 64. I got a guitar. What the, you know, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then um, there was a senior, uh, this, this guy named, God, what was his name? He was crazy. He was a stoner. I don't even remember his name. He was a stoner. But he handed me, um, he handed me a Deicide album. He handed me an album from um, Bloodborne which is a very underrated black metal band. I highly recommend Bloodthorne. And he handed me a Dusk in Her Embrace from Cradle of Filth. He's like, take these, go home and listen to these, and tell me what you think. He never asked for them back because um, he just didn't come to school again, basically. Um, but I loved them. And like, I had the guitar and I was, I was sitting there and I was like, it's not that different from viola. I already had like the movements down. And, you know, the rest is history. I, I listened to it. I would go print tabs at school offline and just sit there and play guitar and learn how to play, you know, the Black Goddess Rises and that kind of thing. You know, I am the Black Wizards and uh, Satan Spawn, the Caco Demon and all that. I love, you know, that that was like my wheelhouse back, back when I was in high school and it really shaped who I became and you know, a lot of the opportunities that I've had. Right. And then you ended up, you ended up playing in a black metal band too at some point, didn't you? Yeah. Um, it was, it was called sin origin. And, um, like I said, we, we did, uh, we did a demo 
it was it was my brother and I in our in our basement, and we we had an old eight track recorder, and we recorded a demo, and we we shot that out to a, a few labels, and we actually got some hits back from it because at the time it was like really in vogue for like low quality recordings of yeah. people who didn't know what they were doing, um, <laughs> like like oh we really like this, but we'd like to see a full length album, so. You know, in our little heads, we're like, we got to go to the studio. So we like saved up all summer, uh-huh. and like in the fall, we just went to this like hyper expensive seventy dollar an hour studio, and in twenty four hours, um, we recorded our first like full length album, and it was all, it was uh, four songs. It was called Night Eternal, and it was four songs, and they were all like sixteen minutes each. Uh huh. <laughs> and like. None of the riffs would like um, repeat, and it was just crazy. And I remember the guy in the the engineer in the studio. He's like, he's like, you guys are like playing the craziest music I ever did. Like he he recorded like Christian rock like the week uh-huh. before. I guess we came in there, <laughs> and uh, we ended up going back to record in the presence of a dread magician. And that was released on blackmetal.com records. Man, I miss blackmetal.com. Like, Amazon has fucking just destroyed everything. Like, they were doing what Amazon did for books originally for black metal. Um, uh-huh. Like, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And um, the, Debbie and Eldon, the two people who, who ran it at the time, um, wonderful, wonderful people, um, they shared their home with us and and you know we we drove down from San Francisco to LA with them for you know a show and just i miss the way things are in a way cuz things are just i think things are being funneled in a direction of where you can choose a or b you don't uh-huh. have like a extra extra few choices you know yeah. where to spend your money no, that's that's really I agree with that one hundred percent. It's like that's a a collateral collateral damage of the uh, internet is one thing, right? Because um, I mean, at first that was like really exciting because you can reach you know so much, you can reach so many people, you can there's so many resources available. Um, but at the same time, it's allowed like these few like a small number of power group power brokers, I guess, to like just kind of like funnel the music, like you said and 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 limit the options you know initially i was like you know um i thought oh this is great everything you ever want is going to be here online but then you know no that's not true what happens is some things don't make it right some things don't make the cut and that happens with any jump to a new a new format right when you know record vinyl went to you know vinyl went to you know cds there's certain things that didn't really make the make the jump over to CD that never got converted. They're still stuck back in the vinyl world, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like not everything is there, and it's like you gotta you gotta um, you know get what you can, you know, when it's available um, to some extent. But even more so now because of the COVID thing, um, what's gonna happen to live to live music? Because live music is just like eh, shut down, you know. Um, everything's going to online and I'm like, I don't know what the world is going to, what the, what is the music world going to look like if there's not like dive bars with some band you never heard of playing that you just see some, you know what I'm saying? You just see yeah. some night and you're like, Oh my God, these guys are awesome. You know, <laughs> I, I think, um, I'm trying to be the optimist here. I think that 
eventually when this whole thing blows over, if it does, uh, and, and that's a big if, um, if things can kind of get back to normal, I think that there's going to be a big market for um, live music again, and people are want, going to want to get out. And I actually, I actually kind of wonder if people in general are just going to be more motivated to do things, not just music. Like, they're going to be like, I've been stuck inside for three fucking years. I need to, like, get out and go right. grab the bull by the horns and go go do things. Um, but as far as, like, as far as, like, music being funneled into one direction now... I remember in the early 2000s, and I, I speak of the early 2000s very fondly because that was like, to me, the golden age of the internet where there was no, I, I, people people who are now on the internet um, monetizing it in the wrong way. Yeah. They weren't, they were still on cable television. And yeah. like, you were able to, and I'm not advocating piracy, but you were able to have basically everything at your fingertips. Like like Napster, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's important to archive sometimes for for certain things like that you can't get anymore. Like you're I can't I there's no record store I can go walk down there right now and go get um, I don't know, clandestine blazes, fist of the northern destroyer. I can't, I can't go find that over there. So, if I don't have the physical copy, which I do, how else do you get it? Well, you archive the, the shit you like, and um, like, like now, I mean, that's that's not gonna be on Spotify. Um, it, it, there's just a lot of things that aren't gonna be on Spotify, and I like, I like Bandcamp because it. It gives more agency to the artist as opposed to Spotify because Spotify doesn't pay you shit. Mm -hmm. They uh, it, and it's like all of the money that Spotify gets goes to Spotify or it goes to like a bigger name like uh, Taylor Swift. Who, I mean, she's doing her own thing. I'm happy for, her, but that's yeah. Like, basically, the infrastructure is built on all of these people who aren't famous creating music and constantly, you know, throwing on the pile every... Yeah. I, I think there's something like uh, 21 or, or 2,100 uh, albums uploaded every week uh -huh. to, to Spotify. Like, it's a lot. Yeah, I, maybe I got the numbers wrong, but... Um, there, it, it's a lot, and I feel like their um, their model of running is built on the backs of of people who are you know hobbyists, people who are putting their their hard work and money in, in the hopes that they're going to you know make it big, that kind of thing, right. um, into this platform that doesn't even give a crap about them. So Spotify, so you're going to have to catch me up here. So Spotify, you can direct release, digital release directly through Spotify now? Here's the thing is, you, it, you can't do it directly. There's always a middleman with these guys. Uh -huh. You can't, you, you, they, like they have an artist app where you can kind of control what's going on, but not really. You can't take songs off of there. You can't change the names of anything without oh. going through this third-party middleman. And usually it's going to be uh, CD Baby or DistroKid. And okay. I like those platforms. I okay. like CD Baby and DistroKid. But I should be able to put my stuff on Spotify and control directly. 
what I want. Right. But all of the so like the like album art and the way um, the file is for like a specific dot wave file, for instance, is like digitally registered to Spotify. So if you had to, if you wanted to change something, you would have to make like a completely new like release or a new um, a new track for that um, okay. so, sort of thing. It 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 lacks it lacks the control um, that something like Bandcamp has. Yeah. Um, and they pay you pennies on the dollar yeah. for whatever um, listens you get. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you 100% on that. I love Bandcamp. I think it's like a great, it's a it's a great thing. It's like, you know, you feel safe at Bandcamp, at least, you know, because you know there's not, you know, like these other entities, like, you know, publishing, you know, Time Warner, we, uh, all these big publishing companies that, 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 that take so much of it. Um, so I definitely love Bandcamp uh, because of that. Um, it's, it's definitely a good thing. Um, I wanted to ask about, because you have so much, uh, black metal um, background and you're around during the really that golden age like time period did you see the movie Lords of Chaos I did what did you think okay where do you uh, fall on this this is one of those questions where you, yes. you're gonna have to, you get it to fall you're gonna fall on a side here <laughs> I, I, I actually have the book in the other room too it's sitting yeah, on my couch okay. right now um, all right I liked the movie and I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you why I like the movie is because I feel I, like it's entertainment first of all that is that is made for entertainment and for me growing up I grew up like worshiping basically these guys who I shouldn't have been worshiping basically mm -hmm. um, but they were cool to me even though they're doing fucked up shit mm -hmm. and um, like it was just it was interesting to see that in a different perspective. And I think a lot of the backlash from that movie particularly comes from uh, the way uh, Varg was portrayed in the movie. Yeah. But, and, and, you know, I think, I think, and, and this is kind of like a touchy subject, but I, I think that there could be truth and there is, uh, there is false hoods going on with the movie you know it's it, it's true but not true and um you know it's it's entertainment first first yeah. of all and i was entertained when i watched it yeah i thought so my personal opinion i always thought it was great i, I love the movie um and you know i recognizing that there's you know it's 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 a movie so it's it's always going to be like far from the actual you know what you know truth about what happened but i always i, I liked how they portrayed varg in it because i think that needed to be portrayed in that way because i always felt like you know you know he's always like oh well he was a poser or whatever and it's like you you, you stabbed your friend in the head okay yeah. That's fucked up. I don't care. There's nothing you can say about that. You need to stop sitting around saying it's some, no, it was like some like, you know, mystical thing or he deserved it because of some record label like bullshit. I've been fucked by record labels plenty of times, but I never said, well, I'm going to go stab my friend in the head over this, you know? <laughs> so I, so I thought it was humorous. I liked it. I thought it was funny um, how that was portrayed. But in general, I thought they, what they really captured in it is the mood of 
what it's like being like, you know, 15, 16 years old, being in a, being young, being in a band at, um, you know, the golden age of that movie, right? Before everything starts to like, you know, fall apart and everything. And I, I really appreciated that because that's like right on, you know, that was like right on the money. Anyone who's been in a band, like you can, you can understand this. Who's been in a band understands, you know, what that's like, how great it is to be doing that, to be hanging out with, you know, the reality is, you know, in hindsight, you realize, oh yeah, we were just a bunch of losers. But at the time you just feel like, you know, um, you know, nothing, you know, nothing can stop you, you know? Yeah, it um, it 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 may be fond. It may be fond of the the times that I I had, and you know I I had some crazy times too, like that. Like I remember I remember one show I did in L.A. There was just um, it it was like Ibex Throne and a bunch of other other bands. It was like a huge like festival, and um, I remember this guy brought all these this these bags of bibles from the hotel onto the stage and just was like like that big pile of uh, bibles and he's like okay do what you're gonna do with this and i was like i didn't i this is not my choice i didn't choose to do this i mean like i'll throw one out into the audience and see what happens so as soon as i grabbed one i threw it out there and like out of the darkness it's like six or seven hands just with lighters just lighting that shit on fire. <laughs> That's awesome. And oh, after that, we just started whipping them, and they just tore them to shreds. And I remember, I remember this guy um, who was the bouncer. He was this Catholic guy, and he's like, "What you did tonight, you hurt me." And I was like, "Well, you gonna tell that to the fucking five hundred people that are in the other room right now, because <laughs> they might have something to say about that." Um, and you know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and be like, you. Uh, I, I'm not gonna sit here and, and, and be like, I, I'm sorry to you for you know hurting how you you feel. Like this is how I feel about what you guys do. And I know two wrongs don't make one right, but you know what yeah. it is. I mean, and, and like, and, and now twenty years later, basically, I have a different perspective about all that stuff. Like, I realize that what I did was radical, and you know, I, I respect other people for, you know, what they they personally believe. But like, the road goes both ways. You have to, yeah. you have to like agree to disagree. You know, that, that's part of what being an American is. You know. <laughs> oh yeah. No, absolutely. So I, you know, I, I think most people, what they really don't like about, or w w what, what you reject about Christianity, this, well, I'll speak for myself, what I reject about, rejected about it wasn't so much the ideas, but the fact that ideas were being pushed upon me and being forced upon me. And so I rejected that. And so I mean, that's the thing right there. It's like, it's really easy to say, I respect all religions, right? Respect everyone. And that's easy to do until someone starts like forcing their, forcing their shit on, on someone else. And then it becomes, then it becomes problematic. And if anything, you know, I, I think the, uh, rejection of it, the, the, um, anger and the frustration about that has to do with those of us who grew up who grew up in this environment grew up in an environment where it was being pushed upon us you know um and there's some uh you know um 
you know, uh, resentment. I guess that's the word I'm looking for, resentment, um, because of that. But other than that, no, you're right. It's like uh, that's what American Americanism is is about, in my opinion, or, or was supposed to be about. Is that no? That's fine. We can all be different. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to all love each other. We don't all have to, you know, understand each other. But we can respect each other. You know, and and allow each other, to, uh, you know, room to to go our own way. Yeah, yeah, it's. I, I feel like we get away. We're getting away from that. Where it, it's just, it, and I'm not. I'm not going to pick sides on the politic thing. Um, but I think that everybody needs to just take a step back, stop being so reactionary to what's mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. Take a deep breath and synthesize. Yeah. Because um, w- without that synthesis, without the, y- y- you know, we-, we used to read the newspaper. Now we read Twitter, w- which is like constant barrage of information all the time. That's not enough. That's not enough opportunity for the human, you know, a brain to just take that information and do something with it in a way where you're going to frame it in a, in a, in a frame it correctly. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Because yeah. when when it's just nonstop, you're just gonna you and it and it offends you. You're just gonna want to just explode. Mm-hmm. And I understand. I really do. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree with you 100 percent on all that. So, how did you go? Let's get back to the instruments. <laughs> how did you go? Bro, we stopped. We stopped with black metal, and you're playing guitar. How did you get from that motif to, and this is what really interests me, how did you get from that to what you're doing now, which is like electronic, and I assume you're using lots of software and and maybe sequencers, maybe some loops or something like that. Um, so how did you go from that style of music to where you, what you're doing now with virtual intelligence? Um, so um, I had a falling out with my bandmates in about 2006. Uh, we played a lot of live shows um, and we were super young, super, super, super young. Like my, my brother, like we were playing in like bars over 20, 21 bars. And we weren't, we weren't over 21 at all. Um, and, uh, so like, we didn't know who we were at all. And I, and, like, there was just this thing in the back of my head. Like I made this pact back in 97 and here I am doing this black metal shit. I gotta, I gotta fucking face the music here with this. So, um, I just, you know, I told my family, I told my bandmates, I'm like, I made this promise to myself that I wasn't going to ignore this, um, this transgender thing that, um, you know, and I, I, I basically that created a huge rift between me, my family, my bandmates, everything, because I, I was, I don't think that I've changed a lot as a result of the, you know, the change, you know, maybe like physically I have, um, but like, I've always been a very aggressive person. I've always been like kind of this, this alpha kind of, I'm going to go jump on stage and scream my head off and tell you, fuck you at the end of the show, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and, like, they would, they weren't buying like my, the people in my life, they weren't buying that that was going to be a viable thing for me. Um, like, like, how could you do this? 
Um, and and this this was this was like mid two thousands. Like um, I, I told them in two thousand five, and we ended up ended up, ended up like um, folding in two thousand six as a result of all this. Uh, we played our last little shows and took care of our business side, and then we went our own separate ways. Um, so like at that time, I started doing a lot of like solo experimentation. And um, I, I actually did record like a mini like uh, black metal um, EP by myself. I haven't actually released it ever. It's actually really good. Um, maybe one day I will um, like rework the songs and, and do it. But on that on that EP, I actually did an experiment with um, with uh, FL Studio. I think it was like FL Studio Five. I want to say at the time. Um, I had this instrumental track that I did, and I hooked my uh, my Kurzweil K2000 up into that. I didn't actually know how to use like the any any of the software side stuff, but I took the the K2000 sequencer and I just pressed record on there, and I was like, oh, I can press record and do all this stuff, and I made that song and I I put it away. It was called like the Marsh Ex Exhales or some something like that, and I put it away. And four years passed, and I remember um, I, I moved to Massachusetts and I started like getting into like acting and uh, community theater and doing Rocky Horror every weekend. And and during that time, I got a copy of FL Studio gifted to me um, from a close friend. They said, I know you like doing music. Um, you should give this a shot because this is a new way to do it. And it really wasn't a new way to do it. People had already been doing using it for, for years and years at that point, but it was new to, new to me. And um, I jumped in and I just, I wrote um, the first virtual intelligence thing um, in 2010. It was a song called uh, Gathered Upon the Wings of an Angel. And it was based off of uh, Battlestar Galactica because I was really, I'm really, really into like that idea of machines um, separating themselves from humans, but still like uh, creating their own like religion. I think mm -hmm. that's in an interesting concept, and that's that's what I did with that first song. So after I made that song, I shelved FL Studio again for another two years, and then I, uh, my friend and I, Aaron, um, she's fucking awesome. Uh, she did. She did some vocals on the first two virtual intelligence releases, but um, we were like joking around. We're like, Let, let's do a let's do a Visual K album, and uh, Visual K is like a Japanese kind of style of music that's really like um, theatrical. Because we were in the theater and we were we we're like, let's just do a show. So I quickly put together this um, the first virtual intelligence. Um, like the it was like a mini EP and that song I had from 2010 I just rolled it over and um, made a few more songs and then we just started playing live um, in in Massachusetts and uh, during that time I got to play with quite a few bands um, I remember playing with the Spiritual Bat from Italy they were really really cool um, oh yeah no I I I, I uh... I think I know them. I know who you're talking about, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I forget. I I want to say his name's Marco, but like, um, she would just the the singer would set him up, 
and he was like blind, but he would just play guitar while yeah. she sang and had and they had a black box going with their their music on it. It was incredible, and I really really dig their music. Um, I got an opportunity to play with them, and then during that time, I um, gotten into into like this this weird click where I started to learn. Um, who was who in the Massachusetts scene. And I started, um, you know, socializing with uh, Morte McAdiver from uh, Pandora's Toy Box. And he uh, he eventually went on to do Black Soul Seraphim, which, oh, wonderful. It's 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 a great, like, like religious black metal sort of fusion um, kind of project. And I, I'm really honored that he actually um, allowed me to do some guitar solos and um, some viola on one of the records, um, I ended up um, we I ended up doing a solo for um, a Sorrow Seed song too. Um, but it was during this time where I was really like productive, and I I recorded uh, the Faith album on using FL Studio uh, in like 2012, like immediately after I recorded the the first um virtual intelligence like mini record and that and that sort of expounded upon like the, the whole idea of like machines have religion like what what would happen and the whole Battlestar galactica aesthetic i think it went over everybody's heads but like years later like i get i get this random email occasionally like i didn't realize this was about Battlestar galactica like that's pretty fucking cool um, and like I taught myself, I taught myself FL Studio then, um, and like I didn't really know, I didn't really know anything. So I would just bring my tracks to like a studio, a random studio, like that I was trying to find uh, in town. Like, hey, can I come record vocals on this thing? Because I didn't know I could actually just like record vocals. Um, despite the fact that years earlier I was recording my K2000 on the on the FL, um, I just needed a mic. I didn't know that, but that's where I got more experience um, mm. in in studios, watching what these guys do, what gear they have, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I worked with uh, Clay um, from at Black Coffee Sound in uh, Williamsburg, MA. And uh, he's a he's a drummer from Black Pyramid. It's like this doom this doom project. And um, he he helped produce the vocals for uh, Faith. And I think he did a, a wonderful job. Like he he showed me things I didn't even know I could do mm -hmm. with with these these uh, DAWs. So um, at that point, I um, I decided right then and there I was just gonna do everything in house. I was never gonna go to a studio again. Uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> um, I, I had uh, years later I would eventually go back um, to learn more. But um, I I spent the next few years learning Logic Pro, and then Logic Pro X, and then uh, like it just when you start learning these things it starts snowballing, and yeah. you're like. You're like, what does Ableton do, or what does Reaper do? It's different from FL Studio. So now, like, I have a, a good repertoire. Ten years later, after starting Virtual Intelligence, of um, just options, just different yeah. options. Yeah. Um, so really, and I really would say that I didn't quite understand some of the technical aspects that I do now about 
what what could possibly make a reasonably um, quality recording um, mm-hmm. until like the last year or so. Well, yeah. So the, I mean, the level that you're working at now, um, you, you, you're automatically moving into the headspace of a producer, right? Which is like a totally different game than when you're playing one instrument and fitting it along and giving your ideas about this or that from a, a production standpoint. But if you're, you're recording everything, you're multi-tracking everything, you're immediately going into that headspace of what, which is more like the big picture, right? You're looking at what, what is the big picture? So then you can back up and start thinking more about like the you know the the storyline the movements you know the the um you know like you said the battlestar galactica aspects of it yeah and it, you know here's here's the weird thing here's the weird thing is like i've always been I, I think my strong point is songwriting i'm really good at arranging and um which is funny because i've always been very disorganized with my recordings and whatnot like it would just be willy-nilly like i'd have all this stuff but now um after after this after pain sink after i had to clean up there i was so disorganized when i originally recorded all the songs for pain sink and i i had to go back at the beginning of the year to to probably last month where i was just organizing organizing color coding organizing by um you know this kind of sound that kind of sound what does this do to you know just getting organized um now now like i am concerned with songwriting like i'm still it's still on my radar but i'm much much more interested in like the minutiae of the science behind it like i i remember the first time i actually like was consciously aware of hearing compression and like what that did to me it it was it was it was not unlike you know uh kefir how kefir feels the first time Mm -hmm. you know um because you hear you hear things like compression but you don't you don't um digest them when when you are listening to music in an everyday sense Mm -hmm. and when you when you're forcing yourself to sort of learn some of the science behind it like you know this has to be this way and like if the lufs isn't like x amount um it's screwed uh like when you start messing around with that kind of stuff um your whole world just changes and and on and under like just just even understanding like compression and what it does to like the wavelengths like just trying to smooth everything out but -hmm. not too much because you still need that little bit of uh, dynamic in there um i apologize i'm like talking about this i'm just very very excited about um the, the the science behind it and i'm not advocating uh i'm not advocating to anyone out there in the the void that you have to uh, you you have to um master a song at uh negative 14 lufs like don't fucking do that <laughs> don't fucking do that seriously like that's uh that's what spotify wants um everybody's song to be at i i would i would honestly say record it master it like negative nine so then when they squash your recording it'll sound louder you know um but yeah the i've 
it's been a journey. It's it's definitely been a journey. It's been a long journey, and I I don't even think I'm remotely close to knowing everything. And that's the exciting part. Oh me. yeah, yeah. It's a it's a work in progress. But uh, the the pain sink. I mean, what I've heard of it, uh, the sample track that you had out was was really epic and really good. So I'm I'm really excited to hear the rest of it. Do you can you give us a give us a a, a clue about when we might be able to hear the whole thing? Um, so, uh, it's going to be on the anniversary of my, uh, my surgery date, uh, which is also a couple other secret anniversaries that I'm not going to say, uh, but it, it will be out on September 10th and, um, I'm going, I'm going to release another, uh, single track here in the next couple of weeks or so. Um, I'm trying to figure out some extra plans, um, but None of the songs on the album are the same. Like it's it's all different stuff. Excellent. So I have to ask this other question. Do you think that the world is awakening to false aesthetic Satanism? <laughs> it's it's kind of weird. So like to to me what would False aesthetic Satanism to me is like, we're all these, we're, we're people, right? And we're doing what we want to do, right? Yeah, we, we're doing what we want to do and doing it well and all that stuff. Satanism goes beyond just doing what you want to do and doing it well or thinking you're doing it well. Like, it, it also means having the sense of, you know, the presence of mind, the sense of self to be able to take a step back and go, hey, am I full of shit? Like, there are a lot of people out there in the void. There are a lot of talented people, too, who actually, they got their shit together. Um, but there are a whole nother, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the people who think that their, their shit doesn't stink, that their art is amazing, that what they're doing is, you know, well, people don't have a clue about, like, I'm just... I'm just the best, you know, right. that kind of, that kind of attitude. And I, I think that, I think the world at large is awakening to that kind of attitude where they're not checking themselves. They're not checking the, their, their own abilities without um, taking a dive into the deep end. You know, you shouldn't take a dive into the deep end. You shouldn't go mess with the, uh, you know, the powers, the, the, the dark powers, so to say, unless, you're ready for it. Otherwise, right. it's going to tear you apart. And it is tearing people apart. It's tearing people apart at large. And it's, it's I mean, like, I, I want to, I, like, part of me wants to be like, oh, don't do that. Like, other, but the other part of me is like, I shouldn't even involve myself. Like, and I don't. Um, because that's the kind of thing where people will just pull you in. Yeah. And, and, like I, like I said, like Satanism goes beyond, it goes beyond just, you know, doing what you want to do for doing its sake. <laughs> right. Uh, it, 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 you have to have, you have to have that other element in there of being able to, to, to think, to critically think, not just think. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I agree 100%. Um, it's it's not just about just doing whatever, 
you know, just for the sake of doing it. It's about doing things based upon a, uh, an aim, a, um, a, a wish for something higher, a vision of something, you know, a vision of like self-improvement, a vision of, of, you know, becoming, um, all of these sorts of things. And it's not about just, I mean, and you mentioned this earlier, um, you know, if you, if you pick a side, if you choose a side in something, it doesn't matter which side you choose. You're going to pull, you get, you get pulled into it. You get pulled into the shit. Right. So it's not really about choosing a side. And, and, and I, I think, you know, some people like mis misunderstand the idea of left-hand path and think, Oh, that is a side. It's a side against right-hand path. And within that context, maybe it kind of is, but the reality of it is that, no, it's not about that. It's about, it's, it's, it's about, um, and Anton LaVey used to make this point at like the third side, right? Uh, third side politics, um, which, you know, he has his own thing he's trying to indicate there, but, but the sentiment is, is, is accurate in that it's like, it's not about a side. It's not about choosing a side. It's about choosing, it's about choosing yourself, you know? Yeah. It's it, choose your own side. And, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean choose your own side to the to the point of it being to to your higher self's detriment it's choosing yeah. your own side and being there and present enough to to make the right choices yeah to make the things that you want manifest in your life and yeah. and i i think that i think that's where people are just getting getting it wrong uh, a lot of, a lot of times it, you can't just call yourself a satanist without you know that that little that little spark of manifestation like have you made things happen you know yeah, yeah. Uh, like uh, and it's not that it's not hard everybody is i think everybody has has the capability to yeah. do that if they were brought up in a certain environment or if they yeah. allowed themselves to be exposed to certain things yeah, but but there's that just that element of fear that kind of there's an element of fear there's an element of indignance there's an element of becoming outraged um, yeah. unnecessarily uh, that that you know is a brick wall to the um, the admission of getting into the onto the left hand path so to say yeah excellent. All right, well, Miss Winters, you're definitely doing the devil's work out there. Thank you, Paul. And we sure do appreciate it. So, um, so where can people? Where do people need to go to hear the pain sink that you got out now and be in the loop when it when it all drops? Um, so you can follow me on Twitter at uh, chain spell stun. Um, I'm there, and you can follow Virtual Intelligence at Gothic Electric on Twitter. And then uh, the Bandcamp page is uh, virtualintelligence.bandcamp.com. And uh, you can find PainSync. You can find all the old recordings there that um, there's good stuff in there. There's also bad stuff in there. But, you know, it's art. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, we'll put all of that. We'll put all of those uh, locations in the show notes uh, for this episode so people can check that out. And I urge everyone to definitely go check out Virtual Intelligence because it is fucking dope. Hell yeah. Thank you so much, Paul. 
All right. Thank you, Nicoletta. Take care and keep fighting the good fight. I will. Okay.